Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. Uh, It is much, much appreciated by many of us. And I hope you had a good night last night. Great start to the week. This is going to be a great weather week. Fantastic blue skies all day today and a high of 26 degrees. And uh, the nights are just fine also. No complaining there. You're going to vote six days from now in the Toronto election, and I'll get to uh, I'll, I'll get to that right out of the gate because there's no doubt about it. People are talking about the result here. I know I hear the news stories that every candidate is going after Olivia Chow hard now. They're really making a push. And Chow has done that perfect thing you do when you're a boxer and you step into a ring and you're already seven or eight rounds up. You don't need to do much. You don't need a knockout punch. You need to make sure you don't expose your chin or take too many body blows. And she's been able to do that. She's been able to sort of run around the ring, though she showed up at things. And um, many of the other teams, if you will, have found this so beyond frustrating. We know the least about her platform. Like, that's not even debatable. We know the very least about her platform to document what's going to happen. And how Toronto's going to change. She even wrote an op-ed in the uh, Toronto Star this morning. And it's, again, a lot about hope and faith. Uh, I bet you if you could name three words that would even be in in the first sentence of Olivia Chow's op-ed in the Toronto Star this morning, you might guess at, at faith, hope, future. They're all there. Olivia Chow, I have hope for the future of our city because I have faith in us. She can switch some of the words around even. Olivia Chow, I have faith for the future of the city because I have hope in us. It doesn't matter. Just jumble those words in there. I don't doubt it's sincere. I don't doubt she feels this way. But I know for candidates on the left, candidates in the middle, candidates on the right, it's been maddening to watch this. She got into the race way later than everybody. She had less of a platform. She's had less significant announcements. The announcements seem to be about things that other candidates have mentioned already or that were already happening. I'd like to keep libraries open on Sunday. Right. Three candidates mentioned that they would do that 10 days prior. Sunday. Let's open waiting pools earlier. Well, okay, sure. But at the same time, I, water fountains and bathrooms, like like those are important things also. And by the way, a reason, I had a couple people tell me yesterday, a reason why you don't open these waiting pools earlier is because on a Monday at 2 o'clock, you need somebody who's done school to to be a lifeguard and staff them. They're not hiring many 42-year-old lifeguards. They're not. They want to give these opportunities to teenagers and college students. Have you seen the billboards in the city? They're advertising for lifeguards. They struggled finding them last year at this particular time. So there's a lot of theories as to why this has happened. And I know that we're going to ask this in the days and weeks to follow as to what has Toronto become under Olivia Chow. Jason Chapman's our executive producer here, and he made some points in an email last night that were really thoughtful, like that it's been 13 years of either Rob Ford or John Tory, and the concept of bringing in a mayor who's more progressive, like Mayor David Miller was, it's about time. Are there people in Toronto also tired of seeing, to be honest, older Caucasian man after older Caucasian man. I mean, you know me. I want 
I want the playing field to be leveled. I want equal opportunity. But there are still some things in life that are going to be a meritocracy. There's still some things in life that you're not going to inflict diversity upon. Nobody's going to tell you to, hey, by the way, record company here, we're going to drop you unless you add a female member or a member of color. Nobody's going to tell Tyler Perry to put more white people in his movies. None of that's going to happen. We didn't enjoy Parasite any less. The Korean masterpiece, which I've seen like four times in its entirety, a couple times with my kids. It was wonderful watching it. A couple scenes, right? But uh, watching it with my kids, nobody's going to be like, where's all the North American Caucasians? No one's going to say that. I got it. But it does feel like Toronto has made that shift for the progressive in this decision, at least what it looks like, to hire Olivia Chow. And I'll leave you with this for now. I had somebody point out yesterday to me, when we talk about costs and inflation and whatnot, the person most likely to like, like go to a grocery store, right, where, where the prices are inflated, take a picture of a chicken breast and say, look at the price of this chicken breast. It's ridiculous. How can they expect us to live and feed ourselves? That person that took that and put it on their Instagram or put it on Twitter, they're the more likely can't, uh, voter to vote for Olivia Chow, not less. They're more likely to vote for somebody who will raise taxes in the city. You might get more services, you just might, but it is an indisputable concept that you'll pay more taxes to live in Toronto with Olivia Chow than any other candidate. And I think people would be shocked if we were wrong about that. We'll certainly have a lot more on this as the morning continues. Again, a week from this morning, we'll be broadcasting live from outside City Hall try and gauge some reaction to this. I I know for a fact there's people that are going to run again. I still think there's a shoe to drop here. Is that John Tory endorsing somebody? Is it John Tory announcing he's not endorsing somebody? Is it a candidate aligning behind another candidate? Brad Bradford and Josh Matlow are the only two people going right back to work at City Hall. And Mitzi Hunter doesn't have a job anymore as a member of provincial parliament. And does Anna Bailao go back and, and simply work uh, in real estate again? Does Mark Saunders go back? And in essence, go back into retirement. These are questions we can ask Mark Saunders in person. This would be two electoral defeats, if you will, in basically the span of a 12 and a half month period. He ran, obviously, in Kathleen Wynne's old riding last year in June and lost narrowly to the one of the seats the liberals actually did win to Stephanie Bowman. I don't know where it all goes, but I know that we'll be uh, having Mitzi Hunter and Mark uh, Saunders in studio to ask them these kind of questions. Welcome in, Shiba Siddiqui, uh, producer of the show this morning. Um, you saw a story. I know you're dying to talk about the Titanic story. We're going to do that after the break. <laughs> like, I didn't know anything about it until 1230. And then it was kind of leading most newscasts because of the strange nature of the story. It's wasn't terrifying. It? But we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. Yeah. Uh, there's another story that's, uh, you know, similarly terrifying in a very different way that uh, I came across yesterday. This is a, uh, a guy from an airline worker from Boston who was in Brazil. And because he's, he works for the airline, he often books multiple flights to see what he can get because it can be canceled because he's always sort of on standby. Yeah. And he booked uh, a flight home from Brazil, transferring in Toronto. And this was in April. Uh, he gets to Toronto. He's going through security. And for some reason, he gets swabbed multiple times for his shampoo bottles uh, coming up positive for cocaine. So he starts. He's very confused. He doesn't understand why it's it's coming up. Uh, and then the the officers are the they're the border. I guess the security guys. They're they just keep yelling loudly. He's going to jail. He's going to jail. And he doesn't know what's going on. 
Uh, and I'm thinking, I, I travel all the time, so I feel like, oh, this is going to happen to me on my next trip. You're going to get, you're going to get identified for <laughs> narcotics yes, in your shampoo for or cocaine conditioner on my bottles. shampoo bottle. Yes. Okay. Uh, so this test happens. They put him in jail for a week, and they have to call his, I guess, you know, his his next of. They call his family in Boston, and all they say, his uncle picks up the phone and they say, uh, your nephew has been charged with uh, possessing cocaine, and he's in jail in Canada right now. And then they hang up the phone. That's it. That's what they tell him. So his family's panicking. He spends a week in jail. Now, he spends a week at Maplehurst Correctional Complex, which is about 40 kilometers north oh, I know of well. Pearson. Have you been no, there I don't before? Know. <laughs> Do you frequent it? Soon enough, though. Soon enough, though. <laughs> okay, you're on your way there. <laughs> um, he spends a week there. And, I mean, I've never been, I guess you could say, to a real jail. Like, I've seen, you know, the cells in police stations. But I've never been to a real jail. So just the way he's describing it, he had, there were three inmates with him in a cell. There weren't enough beds. So they had, they would have to rotate and sleep in the cell. It's unbelievable. I know. You, I mean, I, I, are you at all skeptical about this story? Like he's making it sound like it's, it's no, like Shawshank it Redemption but everything can at be Maplehurst Correctional Complex but, in Toronto. Well, how can you make this? I, I mean, it can be verified. All of these things can be verified. So they had to share that. Throughout the week, someone attempted suicide. An inmate was stabbed. A gang fight broke out and people cried and screamed at all hours of the I, night. I'm never committing a crime again. Is this if this is what happens when you're growing again? Like I commit them every that's week. That's right. That's right. Every uh, few weeks. So after a week, it turns out that the testing that they use at the at Pearson Airport isn't as thorough as the actual formal testing. They take it for formal testing. He's clean. So they find out on one day. This is what gets me about the story. Okay. They find out on on I guess the seventh day or the sixth day that oh you know what we made a mistake. He's not positive for cocaine. He's clear. They wait until the next day to tell him. Yeah. And let him come out. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I wonder if he's getting his job back. He ha- but he had, he has done nothing wrong. I, I know that he hasn't, but like, there's a lot here, and you do wonder if there's a pending. If you got treated that badly in jail, spending time in Canada, I think you'd be speaking to a lawyer, which he would have had anyway to help him get out of that particular jail. So it's one of those things where I'm, yeah, I. I'm not questioning his story, and clearly, he didn't. it doesn't seem like he did anything Look, wrong. He's tw- this doesn't help. He's 22, and he's black. Neither of the, those things help in this situation. Yeah, yeah, but the, the jail allegations are really something um, for Maplehurst Correctional Complex. So, um, yeah, it's 40K away from Pearson Airport. Obviously, commit a crime at the airport. It's probably the closest jail you're going to. Where are we at six days from now? And I, I asked Mitzi Hunter this a little bit earlier in the morning. It's one thing to see poll numbers six, seven weeks ago, but are they at all discouraging? Did you think you'd be in a better place poll-wise than you are right now? It doesn't matter. No, you know what? Right from April 3rd, my team sat me down, spoke to me, and they said, look, come the last week, two weeks, we need you in second place. And that's exactly where I am. I've followed everything that they've asked. We're now at that pivotal point. This is the championship rounds, Greg. This is where you have to put it in and knock really hard to, to make that change happen. And I, I feel good because I'm knocking on the doors. I'm listening to people and I'm hearing people saying, we don't want Olivia Chow to be the mayor. They're telling me this. What do I need to do? Which is why we've been doing uh, you know, our campaign on basically telling everyone her platform because heaven forbid she tell her platform because she knows what happens when people know. I think you've been um, fair and aggressive on Olivia Chow early on in this campaign. 
I'm not sure everyone else has. And I know that, that, that I hear from prospective voters who are frustrated that not everybody was as, as on the concerns about a child government as you were early on. What's your response to that? It really boiled down to June 1st, knocking on doors. I mean, everyone's going through this. This thing called life was in the way. I think people are like electioned out for the most part. And so people were not paying attention. Once the lawn signs started going down, people started to pick up just a little bit. But just the last week and a half, two weeks, now there's a full hyper-focus. So even starting on Olivia way back when, people still were not listening. So even Saturday, I'm knocking on the door and I'm asking a person, you know, I'm with the team, da-da-da. Do you have any, uh, anyone you can vote for? He says it's between you and Olivia Chow. And I go, wow, that's some contrast there. So I said, well, what's your burning platform? What's your big issue? He says to me, public safety. And I was like, wow, I've been drilling this from day one, minute one. So I kind of had to remind him, she doesn't have a plan for public safety. Here's what my plan and, 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 uh, and here's his and she, or here's hers. Mm-hmm. And they went, oh, I didn't know that. So for some reason, it's not penetrating. So we have to keep on reminding people. And every day, we think more people are picking up and understanding it, which is why I'm liking what I'm hearing when I'm knocking on the doors and the team's knocking on doors. Well, I'm sure if that gentleman says it's about, uh, if he says it's about affordable housing, it's about you know uh, making sure uh, we take care more of, of people who are disenfranchised, would yeah. you be concerned that you're not as recognized for that? Because you're right, public safety yeah. is your bread and butter. Police, being pro-police is your bread and butter, clearly. If someone had mentioned those issues, would you say there's a misunderstanding about where you are on them to that undecided voter? No, you know, affordability is a, a key issue. Don't get me wrong. When you look at my platform, it speaks to all of these. And homelessness and not building fast enough and talking about disorder, they all weave into one another. And then it moves into crime. So all of these things we are addressing. But I will tell you, north, south, east, and west, when I am talking to people When we talk about public safety, it is an issue. People have changed their behaviors. They're not riding on on subways. The the numbers are showing that as well. I'm asking people why they're not going downtown. They're saying they don't feel safe. They don't feel safe on the subway, and they speak about congestion. So a lot of the top four things weave into one another, but that public safety piece is big right across the city. Make no bones about it. It's even yesterday, like um, I'm sitting having a coffee in the beaches off, uh, off on Queen Street with a friend of mine who hadn't seen each other in a few years. And, and we were asked if, if we could buy uh, a coffee for somebody. Now, he eventually got his coffee from somebody else, yeah. but then just kind of like loomed over us, like about as far away as, as there is. And I thought, I'll know what to do if there's any sudden motion, any sudden movement. There you go. But with my 17-year-old son. Would my wife, would my 78-year-old mother sit at that, sit there and how, what's the, what's the percentage multiplied of how uncomfortable she'd feel compared to me? I still think I can take people, Mark. I probably can't, but we've got this dumb macho thing in our brains that we'll be able to protect ourselves when we, sometimes we can't. Everybody is using that slide wheel mechanism. Yeah. Everybody is. That's what Toronto is right now. We've normalized so many things to a point where there's been lack of action at City Hall and the candidates running for it aren't admitting that the normalization piece is crucial. So when we talk about the disorder and the randomness, so when I'm riding on the subways, that's my thought process. When I'm listening to someone hooting a little bit too loud or doing things, and and I don't in any way want to say that I'm deminimizing or minimizing people that live with mental health. We have to deal with it. And my plan speaks to dealing with it the right way. 
But the subway system is not a mental health agency. It's not a homeless shelter. And we have to make sure that we have plans in place to have people flowing and feeling safe, but right across the city. And compassion is not just letting people do whatever, whenever. Compassion is saying, let me treat you like a family member, where I'd get you help, where there'd be somewhere for you to go, where there'd be you know, the people that can advocate for us if we ever run into problems, whether we're whether we're 52 or whether we're 22, we're just not showing that same level of compassion. We're like, you know, freedom. We're just we're stepping over people and walking past them. We're ignoring them. We really are. Uh, and we have for quite some time. And that is the exact reason why I'm running. That loudest voice in the room seems to be getting the right traction. They're not listening to everybody. And that's what the problem is at City Hall. There needs to be a leader that gets in there and talks with respect to what everybody is thinking. So many people are applying that slide rule piece and we're normalizing that now. And then we are putting our partners in place and going, geez, what if it was her? What if it was him? This is not right. We have to focus on this and we have to deal with this. And I'm not saying that it's mayhem, but I'm saying we're at the tipping point. We have to focus right now on dealing with these things to make our city vibrant again. It's affecting small business. And if we lose small business, big business does not come here. I think there's that tenseness. And I, I think there's a tenseness to our shoulders like I had yesterday or you would have on the subway that's just more frequent and it's more common. And again, when we place it towards our sons and daughters or our elderly parents, we know they're going to feel it more than more than we are. And again, we might overestimate what we can handle and when we can handle it, but we look out for those younger and older than us. That that's that should be what our generation does. Yeah, and we shouldn't be thinking like that in the city of Toronto. And yet Olivia Chow just 11 days ago said that the TTC is safe, but she has mm-hmm. to say that because she has no plan other than defunding the police, which she has done historically her whole political career. Okay, we'll do a second segment. Coming back, we've got Mark Saunders, former Toronto Police Chief, in studio with us who wants your vote for mayor on Monday, as a matter of fact. You know, I look at the Chicago election and uh, and I see a better system. February 28th, everybody runs. They take the top two candidates and run them off on April 4th. I bet you wish we had that system. I wish we had a system that didn't have Molly the dog in. I mean, that's just a statement that we have got. You're going to beat the dog, though. If I don't, I can't come home. I, I like think make so. that clear. Well, you have your own dog. The, your dog will give you more more guff than Mrs. Saunders will if you lose to the uh, dog. My dog's, my dog's unconditional. Well, How yeah, that's you? true. But they're also there for the food. <laughs> or is that a cat? I can never remember. But but to have the, like like a first-past-the-post system, um, I, was, I was talking with some folks from the Ontario Liberal Party. They're thrilled that they're doing rank balloting. They're thrilled it's one member, one vote. We're, we're going to be – we're pretty archaic with, with how we're doing this, just walking into one booth and marking an X. Yeah, listen, this dog is in this race. That is my only focus right now. We can get to that another day. Yeah. And uh, I'm doing everything that I can to make sure that everyone understands that contrast piece between myself and Olivia and what the city will look like. It will be that Chicago. It will be that, uh, you know, Vancouver, if, if, that, if Olivia Chow is in that seat. So I'm fighting tooth and nail to make sure that I get in that spot. If you were in that scenario one-on-one, how convinced are you you'd win? You, you're, you're out there talking. You'd, I'd win. You'd beat her? I would win. Yeah, I, listen, I'm talking. Would other candidates beat her too? I don't know. I can I can speak for me with my uh, experienced leadership and with the fact that I've run a billion-dollar budget before, the fact that I've been right across the city, north, south, east, and west, gone to town halls. So I, I can't speak to them. My resume is completely different than theirs. So why do why do people in, uh, you know, believe me, we've got three and a half hours of airtime to fill a morning, but why do we talk <laughs> about hypotheticals 
that suggest other candidates aligning with other candidates, people dropping out like we're like the Democrats when they run against Trump or the Republicans when they run against Obama and aligning behind somebody else. Why has that not happened yet? Why it's still the fight for second place, I, I don't know. I can tell you that I've been second place consistently from April 3rd to right now. I have the best tools to tackle Olivia Chow and make sure that the voters have a hyper focus. I mean, it's been looking through 102 people, it did get a little confusing. It did get a little bit chaotic. But now the rubber's meeting the road. And, and if there is that distinct one and two in place, I think that uh, Olivia Chow does not become mayor. I know Olivia Chow does not become mayor. So there's nothing to, to hold back, really. If somebody is going to finish 11th and you spot them and you think that that person's voters would be valuable to me, and do you reach out to those people and say, I'd like your support at the end of the day? Clearly, people are doing it with city councils. Listen, we didn't expect yeah. Jennifer McKelvey to endorse anybody, and she <laughs> did. She said she wouldn't, and then she went back on her word and did. Yeah. Not supposed to do that. Yeah, well, what's done is done. But, you know, I've got a great team and, and they have made some predictions that they've been bang on from day one to right now. I rely on them to do what needs to be done. I, I'm just this handsome face, yours to judge, uh, trying to move forward and spread the message on why I should be the mayor and why I have the skills to be mayor and what the city will look like if I am the mayor versus if the city uh, has Olivia Chow as mayor and what a disaster it will be. Is it a fair statement that you're, are you more engaged or just you, you're almost forced to be out there. I think you're enjoying this more than you were last summer is the best way I can put it. Like you're, yeah. you're experienced. This yeah. is, this is almost old hat right now. And it's so fresh in your mind too, to be out there and explaining who you are, why people should put their trust on you and, and what you can bring. Is, is it a different feel than what last year was? No, it's a completely different feel. Knocking on doors, it's reassuring what they're telling me. People are finishing my lines of my platform. So that's a good, healthy thing. And that way, I just I don't pay attention to the numbers and the this and the that, especially one particular poll, which I find uh, a little bit odd. But um, it's resonating, and I'm liking it. My wife made sure that I enjoy every day. And uh, so that I'm doing. So you do have to do that reset, even though you go to bed late, you get up really early and then you have to come in here and be sharp because I'm sitting across from guys like you. Uh, so uh, I'm enjoying it. I really am. Do you think we'll look at safe injection sites without treatment and, and just, it, it'll just feel like we got this, we got this wrong. The idea is in the right place. The practicality isn't. And as we said, you know, we want to keep people alive. We don't people want, want people dying suddenly from a bad batch of drugs, but to keep them coming back again and again and again without any element of some some middle ground here to help them is not helping them. I'm all for not stigmatizing addiction, but I don't think it's a stigma to say we all need to look in the mirror sometimes or have somebody do it for us and say, look at what you are right now. We want to help you. That's the, that is, again, that's compassion to me. It absolutely is. It, it is about including treatment and rehabilitation. Those two factors have to be put in. There is not enough energy on that. Everything is geared towards a consumption right now. And nobody, nobody is listening to the other side of that story. The people that live in those neighborhoods, their kids, their families, uh, needles, discarded needles in their backyards, in their parks, in the playgrounds. And they have been knocking on city halls doors day after day, and no one has been listening to them. And that has been a key reason why I wanted to run, because in 2016, when I said I'm supportive of the supervised injection sites, but two conditions. Number one, 
the quality of life that it has and it will have impact in that neighborhood. And number two, will it require more resources? And I was promised then that these uh, entities will create uh, better, better communities, uh, less, uh, less criminality. Completely wrong, completely off the mark. And you, your solution to it is not to listen. That's three strikes. You got to get in there. You have to listen to everybody. You have to fix the problem. These drugs are so highly potent. People are dying just they in are. this granularity form. So it's a different animal we're dealing with. The supervised injection sites are necessary, but boy, oh boy, the other resources that need to be put in place to make this thing work better simply aren't there. And decriminalizing is not the solution. I've never heard a family who's lost a loved one or a family member that has someone going through with it right now say, you know, hey, chief, you know what the solution should be? Let's decriminalize all drugs. But couldn't I make the case making it a healthcare issue is more important than a you're using drugs, you're going to jail issue? Like that's and I know decriminalizing is that tricky word that a lot of people get get absolutely tripped up in the in the in the weeds on because you're not talking about sending users to to like this is 1974 we're not talking about putting those people in jail but we're also not going to sell it at the store like we sell chocolate milk no can't you you say decriminalize every drug dealer comes into the city of toronto we don't want that and they hang out by the safe injection sites because they have clients there we need to fix what we have right now it is broken because adequate resources are not put in place to make this machine work properly it can with the right leadership and not listening to the loudest voice, but making sure the right things are put in place so that people have that dignity, have the opportunity that when they're suffering from addiction to turn that corner. Most of them want to do that, but there isn't the right resource there from day one, minute one to help make that turnaround. When we get to Friday, would you reach out to fellow candidates and say, I need your support and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go to the wall for it? Do you make those phone calls on Friday or Saturday? Monday's too late. Do you make them before the weekend? I'm definitely got a plan in place to do just that. Yeah, for sure. To make those calls. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're all thinking about this look and going like, how does, you know, how does the math work? How does the math end up adding up? And uh, and again, e- even if the polls aren't entirely accurate, I think every candidate like yourself, who, as you said, you've been second place for a good chunk of this race. You look and you say, I just want to check every box and make sure I've done everything I can. I don't, you don't, yeah. you, it's not the time to leave anything on the table now, is it? No, it's not. And again, yesterday I, I, I spoke in front of about 50 people when I asked if there are any questions, that was the very first question. Uh-huh. You know what? Uh, here you have this bottleneck, you've got this pack. And why aren't you talking to others to say you need to come on board? Listen, it, it's, it's oversimplified. Every person is a good candidate. They've done their thing and they've got a team behind them. So I can completely understand that. But this is not a race for second place. This is about overtaking Olivia Chow. And there is only one way in which that can be done effectively. Um, and that is by making sure yeah. that there's some sort of alignment and we don't have you know eight people all trying to cross the finish line. When the numbers from day one, minute one, yeah. were shown exactly what the conclusion is going to be. Well, I wish you luck. I can't thank you enough for coming in. Uh, he's Mark Saunders. By the way, you knew the premier had your lawn sign out, did you? We talked about that. You know that made the papers yesterday. I, saw that, I, I saw that you yesterday. Didn't, you didn't drive it over there. He just went and got it. <laughs> I got a big team out there. No, I did not drive it out there. But listen. I'm, and you're not responsible for the lions on his lawn either. Those are, those are like, you can't move those. It would take four of you and me to move the lion from point A to B on you the know, lawn, I think. My next place, if I can afford and we'll have three lions. <laughs> Well, I don't. I didn't. I didn't suggest you were moving in with the premier. I don't think it's. I don't think it's like that. I can't thank you enough for coming in. I wish you the best uh, on Monday. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Mark Saunders with us in studio on Toronto Today. 
It's Toronto Today, 640 Toronto. Uh, you're listening, of course, on 640toronto.com or on your actual radio or on the Radio Player Canada app or your smart speaker. And thanks for doing that. So the Titanic sank around uh, 1912, early morning hours. There was a movie or something about it uh, that dramatized a lot of the romance of it, but less of the horror. It wasn't a horror movie. It was sort of a, a heartbreaking uh, romance. And that was in 1912. I don't remember this part. I mentioned the Raise the Titanic movie in 1980 that nobody went and saw. But in 1985, they ended up finding the Titanic. I remember it was like a big deal when the King Tut uh, exhibition went around and it was at various museums and whatnot. I remember it came to London, Ontario, and that was a huge deal um, in the, the late 70s. But I don't remember where I was when the Titanic wreckage was found. But lo and behold, yesterday, we find out two things. One that there's a tourist company that basically takes you, Sheba, to the missing uh, you know, wreck of the Titanic, and, and people can pay a ton of money, $250,000, to be basically a crew of five tourists at a time, and I guess a small crew, and you go down and you see the Titanic. And it takes eight days, and it, it takes eight hours to, to go fully down to where the wreck is. You spend about eight days down there, and then, you, and then it takes eight hours to come back up. So this sub went down Sunday. They pick up the passengers in St. John's, Newfoundland. So it sure does have a Canadian connection, given the Titanic sunk 600 kilometers off the coast of Newfoundland. And, um, and yesterday afternoon, they figure, well, we can't find it. And the crew has four days worth of oxygen left. So there were a lot of like new things about the story yesterday that, I, that, I they, even had, that they didn't even do this. <laughs> I don't understand how this can happen. With all of the technology that we have right now, how do you not know where this lost sub is? So this is a truck-sized sub. It holds five people, and it's got a four-day emergency supply of oxygen. Uh, and to me, this is just a crazy story because how do you lose something of this magnitude? Yeah, but we lost that, Thai, that airplane from Thailand, and nobody still knows what happened to it. We well, really don't. That's where people's minds are going because you, yeah. know what, you know what the conspiracy theory is for that airplane. What's the big? I, what's the biggest one? Because we watched something on Netflix about it, and I kept drifting in and out of sleep on biggest a Friday night. Biggest conspiracy theory about the airplane is aliens. Aliens. Okay. Yes. So now people are saying this is aliens. Sea aliens. <laughs> maybe. Hey, they, maybe they were more advanced. Like maybe go right so. To the bottom, just like that. So there are five people on this. One of them, notably, is a 58-year-old British billionaire businessman. He's an explorer. He was bragging about this on social media over the weekend that he's finally getting to do this. Uh, this is the worst winter apparently in Newfoundland in 40 years. So this wreckage is about 70. I believe it's. Oh, it's 700 kilometers south of St. John's, Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. where it's found. But they leave from Boston. Now, I don't know. First of all, if someone gave you a free trip to do this, are you taking it? Maybe really late in my life. I feel like... <laughs> well, you've less to lose. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Less years to lose. But I also think there's risk in everything, right? There's risk if you go uh, zip lining in the Amazon. There's risk if you go on safari. You, you know me in deep sea diving. I won't put a snorkel on. I won't put a mask on because uh, I'm going to be the one. Aaron Rodgers, the uh, football quarterback, has this theory that I'll be the one that a shark gets. I'll be the one stung by an electric eel. It'll just be me. It happens to some people. It'll be me. I don't think I would do this at this point in my life, but maybe 30 years from now. I can understand if you're an avid diver. Right. And this is the experience of a lifetime. You can afford it. Then, yes, absolutely. Though this vessel weighs 23,000 pounds. Uh, and I just feel like this. 
I can understand why these five people on board, it would be appealing to them. If this is what you've been doing your whole life, this is it. This is the, what gets better than diving to the wreckage of the Titanic. Yeah. That and, deep down. And you got your own, you know, you got your own photos probably and your own video. For the ground. And you got your own story. Like whatever happens with this boat, it's going to turn into a movie. And some really famous people are going to be, you're going to get your Mark Ruffalo's or your Jessica Chastain's. You're going to get, now Leo can't be in this because there's too much of an association with the prior Titanic. You can't, you can't reunite Leo and Kate here and they can't be passengers on, on the ocean gate. No, can they? no, they they're, can't. They're right. They can't. But I, I, to me, this is a terrifying experience. If that was me in that ship, I would have just opened the door and be like, guys, it's over for all of us. Let's just, that's it. It's over. It's done. Well, well it's, um, it's one of those things where I, I think it's phenomenal. If they just come up to the surface today and go, what was the problem? We lost radio contact. Isn't it the most phenomenal commercial for it? Isn't it the most, like, again, somehow, some way, the, the super uber rich found out about this trip and found out that they could do it. Yes. There's a person. I'm surprised um, Elon Musk hasn't been down there. Well, he probably doesn't know how well, to die. Yeah, I, I think the person you mentioned, if I it's not. 25-year-olds down there. If it's not him, um, it's one of the two, because there's a, there's a Pakistani billionaire and his son that are on this ship as well. Like, like we're going to know all five identities of the people that paid the, the 250K yes. to go on this particular, um, you know, Titanic submersible. I don't like submersible, by the way. Submarine is better. I, yeah, I really, yeah, it, absolutely. So, um, but it's, I think it's the best commercial imaginable for it. If these people are like, wow, people were looking for us. It was a worldwide story on the BBC and 640 Toronto and all sorts but of other mega places where you'd go to get news. What happens is that this, this submarine, it's down below very deep. And then on top of it, there's a ship. It's called a support ship. And that support ship communicates with the sub, sub back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and they've just lost complete communication. They're no, no longer getting any type of a response. And to me, that's panic mode mm-hmm. because it's never happened before. What's going on? It's lost at the bottom of the ocean. That's it. To me, it's over. You think they're done for. I, but uh, will they find the wreckage of it? And that's the big to. question. They have to keep looking. Well, they never found the plane wreckage from the conspiracy theory aliens, yeah. so who knows? Did they ever find the car at the end of season one of Succession that uh, Kendall was driving in along with the uh, the waiter from the wedding? Yeah, it was in the lake. <laughs> and they found the key card in, in the hotel. <laughs> Nobody knows what we're talking about <laughs> unless you watch everybody Succession. Saw su- everybody who listens to our show saw uh, Succession. But I don't know. Like, th- There's people trying to poke holes in the story. I'm seeing people who know submarines really well who say, like, they don't think it's some conspiracy, but they're just not sure how there can't be some kind of transponder and some kind of backup or strobe light or something in an emergency that would go woo, woo, woo. But I I don't know how close to the bottom of the ocean. Or the high-end equivalent of an Apple AirTag. Whatever the that is. Equi- yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> That's in the submarine that can locate where it is. Look, if we can find Howard Levitt's Ferrari... <laughs> We can find this sub. He Howard Levitt doesn't have the doesn't have Titanic uh, mission cash. Uh, he doesn't. Not not if he's no. worried about getting the Ferrari back. I don't think. And tomorrow is the first day of summer. But let's make it the unofficial start of summer today. Unofficial today. Official tomorrow. I think we can handle that. Um, I'm ge- I'm getting my head around these numbers. I still think this is going to be. You know, if it goes the way some people think it's going to go. And Olivia Chow just kind of waltzes to becoming the next mayor of Toronto. Maybe there's design behind it. Maybe there's reasons behind it. I also think 
it's it's a tremendous comeback story. Not because of who she is, not because she's 66, not because she hasn't been involved in politics in over eight years, but she got like beat pretty badly in the last two times she's she's run for public office. And you can only absorb so many of those body blows. She had 27% of the vote in the 2015 Canadian federal election. Um, well, she was a, you know, an, an MP for Trinity Spadina. Adam Vaughn got 55% of the votes. He doubled up her on votes. The conservative candidate did quite poorly in, uh, in Trinity Spadina, and that'll often happen. But as well, the year before, she put a ton of investment into running for mayor of Toronto. Remember, this was the not Rob Ford election. Like, that was the concept is... Oh, we've just been through a lot. Can we do something different here? And the idea was, this is John Tory kind of coming out of nowhere. I wouldn't say that people thought he was finished with politics, but I think people wondered at the time what was next for John Tory. And and he won rather handily as well. And Doug Ford stepping in for his ailing brother, Rob, finished a respectable second with 34%. But Olivia Chow had 23%. So I asked the question, what you attribute her popularity to, and one theory that our executive producer Jason Chapman brought up last night, and I hadn't thought of it yet, I'm more likely to reject the idea, but I'll listen to you if you think that it matters. And that's, it, does this have to do, does a surge of popularity for Olivia Chow relate to how people perceive Jack Layton as a person of integrity, of a, as a person of scrutiny? Many people have said this even even about Jagmeet Singh when they've been critical about the NDP federally. They're like, Jack Layton wouldn't do this. Jack Layton wouldn't do that. That's a hard legacy to sort of live up to. You're always going to get that. You'll get a Stephen Harper, Pierre Polyev comparison. You'll get a Justin Trudeau, Jean Chrétien, or, or even to some extent um, a comparison to his dad. That will happen from time to time. Doug Ford and Mike Harris don't have a lot in you know aligned ideologically. Same party, same results, couple big wins in terms of majority governments. Does Jack Layton and our memories of him have something to do with Olivia Chow's popularity? This could be nothing, or it could be something. I'd love to know your perspective on this. 416-870-6400. 416-870-6400. And I, I, I wouldn't call, look, she's doing her own work. She's putting her own work in. Nobody's implying otherwise, but you do get that name recognition matters so much in elections now. It matters so much. And at the same time, there's some benefit to Justin Trudeau. Who was his dad? Oh, that helps him. I'd even say Hillary Clinton. Who was her husband? That matters also. So name recognition does matter. If your last name is Kennedy, okay, even the guy running around right now, you're going to have that name recognition that another candidate potentially doesn't have. 416-870-6400. Does Jack Layton, the late Jack Layton, uh, taken from politics and just taken from life, obviously far too soon with a terrible, terrible affliction and a terrible illness. Does this have something to do with Olivia Chow being popular in the city of Toronto? Because I, I did not foresee this. I didn't foresee her running. Nobody talked about her last fall as a potential future mayor. We mentioned Josh Matlow and we mentioned Brad Bradford. And even if you consider there's a couple wild cards in there. We just talked to Mitzi Hunter. I wouldn't have forecast her running a year ago at this time. I wouldn't have forecast Mark Saunders running. Mark Saunders was just probably getting over, coming very close to becoming an MPP in Kathleen Wynn's old writing. Politics is funny. 
It just is. And this is another example of that. Nathan, thanks for waiting through the break. I appreciate it. You're on. Go right ahead. Hi, Nathan. Jack, uh, Jack Layton definitely would have had a positive, would have a positive, you know, his, his legacy would have a positive influence over anybody, say, 40 years and older. I don't think anybody younger than 40 would, that isn't into politics, quote unquote, would remember him or know who he is. I would ha- I think that would have no impact. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do, I do have to ask, like, why we're putting so much weight into the accuracy of these polls when the best, the best, the best, the the, the, the likelihood of the polls being accurate based on their past performance is really slim. Um, and if you go back and you look at the way these past, these polls have, have, have tracked and actually what, where they, what they predicted and what the results were, they're usually fairly inaccurate. So again, I don't know if that's all the information that the media has to spew, but when you walk around and you talk to people who are voting in the Toronto election, it's not an overwhelming Olivia Chow response. No, no, Nathan, I, I think you bring up some great points, and I want to let you respond to to mine. Um, and and I I think it's madness to think she's even going to flirt with getting forty percent. So when I see a poll and it says Olivia Chow is going to get thirty eight percent of the vote, I don't believe it. Will Chow voters stay home thinking I don't need to go? She's already going to win. I think that's a factor right now. Six days later, but but there are great examples. See, I think there's two things to conflate here. One is Twitter is ridiculous, and I don't see this election playing out on Twitter where they got Brexit wrong, they got Trump wrong, they've got a million things wrong about politics. Um, but I but I do think this. We can't tell who's second. There's. I think that really hurts. Is that there's no clear second place contender that everybody else would feel comfortable aligning either with or behind in the next five or six days? Because Anna Bylaw probably thinks she's going to finish second. Mark Saunders thinks he is. Anthony Fury thinks he is. Josh Madlow might think he is. It's this perfect conflation, right? Where it's all all of this works for Olivia Chow, by the way. That there's four people that think they could finish second. Yep, and I think to be honest with you, and I'll respond by saying this: yeah. I think this is yeah. a, this is a, a, a poker game right now, and I think you're going to get a lot of last-minute sort of folding their hand and betting behind somebody. I really do think that's going to happen. That's a prediction I think is going to occur for the right and the left. Mm-hmm. But I think more so the right is going to unite and drop their weight behind one candidate. I think the left are going to be too stubborn and stick it out and. Um, We'll see. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, and uh, I, I, thank you for the phone call. There's two thoughts I have on that. One, if we're considering Mitzi Hunter left, sure, we, sh- we should. More center left, I think. Um, Josh Matlow is not as left as Olivia Chow, but I don't know what's in it for them to concede. They've put a lot of infrastructure into this. Josh was always going to run in 2026. It looks now like last fall taking on John Tor- Like, who th- who said this three months ago? Josh Madlow would have a better result against an, a two-time incumbent in John Tory than he would against Olivia Chow. And that's not a criticism of Madlow or the campaign he's run or anything. But it's a, it's a mathematical observation. In a million trillion years, I would not have agreed with that statement. Madlow will do better against Tory than he will against Olivia Chow. Never. Never have I ever, as it goes. Dan, thanks for the phone call. Appreciate the time. You go right ahead. Hey, uh, so I've noticed the only thing that Olivia and Jack really have in common is how worked up they get conservative voters, and that gets a massive amount of uh, left-wing voters to get behind them. 
I guess it does to some extent, but that's that's the name of the game, isn't it? It's, it's exactly what the liberals failed to do in the province last year. It's exactly what the NDP has failed to do federally the last few elections. Like this was a party that Not used on. to like again. There, there's the popularity of Jack Layton that the the federal NDP, as I mentioned, with the contrast to Jugmeet Singh. Dan, they can't replicate it. They they can't find a way to bottle whatever appealed to people about Layton is is just not in the air anymore for Jugmeet. And it sure won't be for the next leader if Jugmeet Singh walked away tomorrow. That they'd be in some trouble. Absolutely. Spot on. Thanks for the phone call. One more on this. Andrew, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for uh, being on the show and go right ahead. Morning. Uh I'm so I'm just I'm thinking about this. Um, yep. I'm, I'm driving actually in Scarborough, and I'm seeing a lot of different signs. What I'm not seeing is any Olivia Chow signs. <laughs> um, so my thought is this. This is a lot what Toronto does is it's more an anti-Doug Ford, I think, more than anything, because this is the only way that they're going to stand up to Doug Ford, because I don't believe that Toronto voted in uh, for provincially, I think it was the 905 and the 705, etc. I, I mean, I, I think the Conservatives, I, I mentioned it earlier, I th- Andrew, you make a really good point. And I think the Conservatives are always going to struggle in Toronto proper. And, and municipalities, big cities, look, what do they do in the states? They vote Democrat. They don't vote Republican. Now, we're not as, I, I don't think we're as pushed aside and I think there's a lot more common ground. And I'm telling you, this is what I've visualized from the candidates. There's been a lot of respectful disagreement. There's been loud disagreement, but the, but I think we're showing the best of our politics has been on display in this mayoral race. I don't know if that changes in the last five, but it hasn't been. It, there has not been mudslinging. There hasn't been dirt. If something's coming in the next five days, I'm not aware of it. Look, we all would say if I was going to run for office, what's the skeleton somebody would drag out against me? And the, most of the time, people are like, I don't have any, so I'll go ahead and do it. That seems to be the case here. 